and amen. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and the Word of God says to us this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here in chapter three, the apostle Paul is sitting under arrest in Rome, writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And in this section of the letter, he is clarifying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is clarifying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes this morning, we will be particularly in verses 6 to 13. Verses 6 to 13. And the first clarification of the gospel that Paul provides for us this morning is the gospel's message. The gospel's message. Look in verse 6. This mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now in this passage, I hope you noticed as we read it, the word mystery has come up time and time again. This word mystery here is not referring to something that's strange and mystical. It's actually just referring to a truth or a fact that God is kept to himself and not made known to people and is kept to himself until he decided in his infinite wisdom that it was the best time to unveil this truth and make it known. And so God has called special men, Paul said, apostles and prophets of which Paul was one, and God revealed to these men this mystery, this fact or this truth about the gospel, and it was the job of these people, the calling of these people to make what was once a secret in God known to everyone. And so he's unveiling this mystery of the gospel, clarifying the gospel, and here in verse 6 he says, first of all, let me make sure we all understand what the message of the gospel is. And you can notice in verse 6 that he's talking here particularly about the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is a non-Jew, of course. In the church at Ephesus, if you read the rest of the letter, you will find there were both Jews and Gentiles present. And there was some conflict along the Jew-Gentile lines. And so Paul's trying to clear this up for them. He's trying to clarify the divide for them. He's clarifying the gospel here, the message of the gospel. And so he's talking to the Gentiles, but he's also talking to the Jews. And he says in verse 6, that all Gentiles 
everywhere, so all non-Jews everywhere who are saved are saved through the Jesus Christ of the Bible alone. Let me say that again. All people everywhere who desire to be saved, who desire to be reconciled to the God of the Bible, can only be saved through the Jesus Christ of the Bible alone. Whether they are living in Greenville, Texas, or Houston, Texas, where I live, or whether the person is on a mountaintop in China or in the desert of North Africa, all people everywhere who desire to be reconciled to the God of the Bible can only be saved through the Jesus Christ of the Bible alone. This is the message of the gospel. Now I know that some people push back on the message of the gospel, claiming that it is too exclusive. And by its exclusivity, it is unloving and it is unkind and it is hateful. Because after all, how can someone in the desert of Africa ever find out about Jesus Christ of the Bible? How can the person on the mountaintop in China be expected to hear about the Jesus Christ of the Bible? And if they don't, and when they don't, and they die cut off from God, and they enter an eternity in hell, how is that fair, and how is that loving, even when the Bible says that God is a God of love? Well, let me remind you of something this morning for just a moment. Jesus Christ alone is the way to God, not because God is trying to make it hard to be saved, not because God is trying to make it difficult. Not because God is trying to make it so exclusive that most people are not saved. The reason Jesus alone is the way to the God of the Bible, the reason Jesus is the only provision of the God of the Bible whereby a person can be saved is because there is no other way that God could have provided for salvation. When we say Jesus alone is the way to God, we, no, we are not saying that God could have made a hundred other ways and decided not to. We're saying Jesus alone is the way to be saved because there was no other way, there is no other way for God to provide a means of salvation. You see, here's the message of the gospel. God is the creator of all things, the maker of all things, including humanity. And as the creator and the maker of mankind, God, therefore, is the rightful owner of everything he has made, including mankind. As the rightful owner, he gets to make the rules. As the rightful owner, he gets to lay out the expectations and the boundaries. As the rightful owner, he is the rightful reigning king of all of mankind. But as the Bible tells us, and as you have experienced, every single member of mankind has rebelled against the laws of the rightful reigning king. Now when you rebel against the laws of the rightful reigning king, you are rebelling against the rightful reigning king himself. Now, if I were just to come to you and say, okay, if you heard of a kingdom, 
in which people were rebelling against the rightful reigning king. If I were to tell you about a kingdom in which people were committing treason against the rightful king, what do you think someone deserves for being a rebel in a kingdom, for committing treason against the king of a kingdom? Well, you would naturally say that person deserves to die. In any country, even America, when we find out someone's committing treason against our kingdom, we say that person should pay for it with their life. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says that the wages of rebellion is death. So what you and I, what all of mankind deserves for our rebellion against the rightful reigning king, the God of the Bible, is death. When the Bible talks about death, it's talking about being cut off from God. We deserve to be cut off from God, the source of life, not only in this lifetime, but in the afterlife on the other side of death as well. Now, God loves you, God loves me, and He loves all of mankind. He desires for no one to spend eternity in hell. So God made a way for your treason to be paid for without your life being the life that brings your treason to justice. And the life that God provided is Jesus Christ. You see, for your treason to be brought to justice, it has to be brought to justice with human life. Someone has to die for you. The wages of sin is death. But for someone to die on your behalf, that person has to be perfect. Because if they've committed treason against the rightful reigning king and they die, they're not paying for your treason, they're paying for theirs. Now, have you ever met anyone in this world that's perfect? Have you ever met anyone in this world who's never rebelled against the rightful reigning king? Someone to whom you can go up to and say, hey, would you die for me and bring my, my rebellion to justice so I don't have to? Would you do that for me on my behalf? You can search the world over and never find a perfect person. Am I right or am I right? We require someone then from an otherworldly place who is perfect to come and to give up their life for you and for me. There is only one person that God could have sent, you see. It's not that he was trying to make it hard. He's not trying to make it exclusive. He's not trying to make it difficult. Jesus alone is the way because there is no other life available than Jesus Christ's to pay for our rebellion. And so God sent Jesus Christ into this world, and because he's God, he's perfect, and because he's man, he's completely human, and his life can count for yours. And Christ lived a perfect life in this world, and he went to the cross, and as he hung on the cross, God took all of our rebellion, and he put it on Jesus Christ, and when Jesus died, he was paying for all of our treason. You say, how can one death pay for the treason of all of mankind? Remember, he's 100% God, and therefore the value of his life is infinite. God is infinite. The value of his life is infinite. So the value of Christ's life on the cross is infinite. What he did on the cross is of infinite value, and therefore it can cover a multitude of sin. And so in that one act, Jesus Christ brought to justice the rebellion of all mankind, past, present, and future. And that's why now anyone who will come to Jesus Christ on the basis of his death, burial, and resurrection for our treason against the rightful reigning king, and if you will come to Jesus Christ and you will say, Lord Jesus, 
Jesus, I believe this is true. You are the means of reconciliation to God against whom I've rebelled. And I do deserve for the wages of my sin to be death. But Lord Jesus, your death on the cross paid for my sin on my behalf. And so I'm coming to claim that. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. And I'll bow my knee to you, the rightful reigning king. Won't you reconcile me to the living God? In that moment, the Bible says that Jesus Christ forgives you of all of your rebellion against the living God. And you are reconciled to him for the rest of your time here on earth. And when you die, you spend eternity in heaven with the living God of the Bible forever and ever. This is the message of the gospel, the gospel's message. It is through Jesus alone that anyone on the face of the earth can be saved. And yes, it's exclusive, but it's not exclusive because God's unloving. It's not exclusive because God's trying to make it hard. It's exclusive because Jesus alone is the only means God can provide for mankind's salvation. Now, God in his great love knows that the gospel is exclusive. You don't have to tell him. So in his great love, knowing the gospel's exclusive, God designed a juggernaut of a communications department for the kingdom of God to get this very exclusive message to every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And the juggernaut of the communications department that God designed to get this exclusive gospel to every person on the face of the earth is the church. The gospel's message, the gospel's medium. The medium of the gospel is the church. Look back in verse 6. What Paul's emphasizing here is not that all people everywhere can only be saved through Christ. That's the premise of what he's saying. But what he's really emphasizing here is this. Look, every person who bows the knee to Jesus Christ is not only reconciled to God, they are reconciled to God's people. Every person who bows the knee to Jesus Christ is not only born into new life in God, they are born into new life as God's people, the church. Do you know that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were reborn into a new people group? We were all reborn into a new people group, the people of God. We have our own culture, the kingdom's culture. We have our own language, the language of the Word of God that flows right out of God Himself. We have our own constitution, the Bible and the New Covenant. We have our own ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you surrendered your life to Christ, you were reborn into a new people group. We were reborn into a new people group, the church. We are the people of God in this world. Now drop down to verse 10 and verse 7 to 9. Paul's talking more to them about this, reassuring them that this is all true. I don't have time to unpack all of that right now. But look with me in verse 10. We were reborn as the church, and here's why in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Listen to me. God knew that the message of the gospel is exclusive. So he designed this juggernaut of a communications department to make his wisdom, the wisdom of the gospel, known to everyone. 
and the medium that he designed in his infinite wisdom. I mean, God could have designed anything. He could have chosen anything. And the medium, though, that he chose in this world for the proclamation of the gospel and making it known to everyone is the church. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The medium of the gospel in this world is the church. We could say it like this. The gospel in this world is as much for the birthing and the building of the church as it is the reconciling of individuals to God. The gospel in this world is as much for the birthing and the building of the church as it is the reconciling of individuals to God. According to the text, when you were saved, you were reconciled to God, but you were also reborn into this new people group, the church. Why? So that through the church, this exclusive gospel can be proclaimed in this world. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ is, is amazing, isn't it? I mean, when God designed the church to be the medium for gospel proclamation, he designed something really amazing. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ transcends boundaries of countries. The church is all over the world, isn't it? The church of Jesus Christ in this world speaks countless languages, doesn't it? The church of Jesus Christ in this world is incredibly wealthy. Imagine how much money there is. If you were to tally up the assets of every Christian on planet earth. When God designed the church to be the medium for gospel proclamation in this world. Man, he designed a juggernaut. We transcend geopolitical boundaries. We speak countless languages. We have incredible resources. How loving is God that he designed a medium for the communication of the gospel like the church. And to be sure, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world is everybody who was saved, right? What we would call the universal church. But also to be sure, you and I need to understand that what Paul is teaching in the book of Ephesians is that the universal church is made visible in this world through the local church. The universal church is made visible and known in this world through the local church, a visible, identifiable, local body of believers. You and I belong to the universal church, but we identify with the universal church by identifying with the local church. The local church is God's primary plan for revealing the gospel, remember? The local church is God's medium for gospel proclamation, remember? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. Think of an engagement ring. Jesus Christ is the diamond of God's glory. Jesus Christ is the diamond of God's glory in this world. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. 
Jesus Christ is the gospel personified in this world, okay? So in the engagement ring, if we're talking about the diamond, we're talking about Jesus Christ. But also on the engagement ring, there is the setting. There are the prongs that hold the diamond, that reveal the diamond, that showcase the diamond in uh, uh, and all of its glory. Well, well, well in, the, in the picture of an engagement ring, while Jesus Christ is the diamond of God's glory in this world, the local church is the setting. The local church is the prongs of the engagement ring from which the diamond is displayed and showcased. The church is God's medium for revealing the gospel in this world. So we have the gospel's message, we have the gospel's medium, and now we have the gospel's method. We have the gospel's method. Look again in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, so if we follow the logic from verse 6 to verse 10, here's what you have. In verse 6, the gospel gets proclaimed... People hear it. They surrender themselves to the rightful reigning king. They are saved. They are reborn in their salvation into this new people group called the church because it's through the church that the gospel is made known. A church is then born and strengthened. That church proclaims the gospel. And where the gospel is proclaimed... People hear it, and they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, and they are reconciled to God and reborn into this new people group called the church. A church is born. That church then proclaims the gospel. People hear it. They are saved. They surrender themselves to Jesus Christ. They are reconciled to God. They are reborn as the church that proclaims. You see what I'm saying here? Do you see the chain effect inherent to the gospel is its own method of advancement in this world. We could call it the dandelion effect. The dandelion effect. When a dandelion, this wildflower, grows up in a field, all of the little seeds are attached to it, and they are so light the wind can carry it. One day the wind blows against that that dandelion, and the seeds break loose, and they are carried on the strength of the wind, and eventually the wind dies down and sets that seed in a, in a new location. Eventually rain falls. That seed germinates. It blossoms. It grows into a healthy dandelion filled with seeds. And one day the wind blows upon and the seeds are carried by the wind. You see what I'm saying? The dandelion effect. Well, this is God's design for gospel proclamation in this world and gospel advancement. A church is like a dandelion. A local church is like a dandelion. And it is in a, special, a particular place like, like, like Ridgecrest Baptist in Greenville, Texas. And attached to this church is the gospel because you are a people of the gospel. And one day the wind of God, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the ruach of God blows upon this church. Don't you love it when God breathes out on a church? I pray all the time for my church that God would not breathe in, but that he would breathe out upon us. 
Because when the Holy Spirit of God breathes upon a church, the anointing of God falls. And when the Holy Spirit breathes on a church, (sighs) gospel seeds get carried by the Holy Spirit from a local church. And the wind of God, the Holy Spirit, carries seeds of the gospel to a location and sets them down. And they're carried through you, the people of Ridgecrest. And as 1 Corinthians said, God God plants and then God waters. And over time, the rain of heaven falls on the seeds that the Holy Spirit has scattered from Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And those seeds of the gospel begin to germinate in this new location. And it begins to grow and mature. A gospel ministry begins to sprout and mature until it reaches full blossom. It looks like a local church. Do you know what the gospel ministry, any gospel ministry that matures in this world looks like? It ultimately looks like a church, a local church. When gospel ministry in this world matures, it either results in the birthing of a new church, the strengthening of an existing church, or the revitalizing of a dying church. When gospel ministry in this world matures, the end result looks like, at full maturity, the birthing of a new church, the strengthening of an existing church, the revitalizing of a dying church. And then that local church becomes healthy, and it starts proclaiming the gospel, and one day, The Holy Spirit breathes upon it and seeds of the gospel break loose and the Holy Spirit carries those seeds of the gospel to a new place and he begins to water it in that location and it begins to germinate and blossom and it starts to grow into maturity and when that gospel ministry reaches maturity, what it looks like is either the birthing of a new church, the the strengthening of an existing church, the revitalizing of a dying church and one day that church is healthy and it's proclaiming the gospel The Holy Spirit breathes upon it. It's the dandelion effect. That's what we see in the text. God's method for advancing the gospel in this world is that a church proclaims the gospel, which results in the church, which proclaims the gospel, which results in a church, which proclaims the gospel, which results in a church. So we have the gospel's message. We have the gospel's medium, the church. We have the gospel's method of advancement. The church proclaims the gospel, which builds a church, which proclaims the gospel, which builds a church, which proclaims the gospel. And then finally in the text, we have not just the gospel's message, the gospel's medium, the gospel's method, but we have ultimately the gospel's mission, the gospel's mission. Look at the rest of verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That means exactly what it sounds like, as crazy as it looks. We're talking about angels in the spirit realm. We're talking about beings in the spirit realm. When God kept the full effect of the gospel, the full gospel plan, a secret for all those years, it wasn't just a secret from mankind. It was a secret even from the angels 
in heaven. And when God decided to reveal the secret of the full gospel, that it's through Jesus alone that anyone will be saved, and that the gospel in this world will birth and build the church for the proclamation of the gospel, when God decided to make the full effect of the gospel known, not just to humans, but to the spirit realm, he designed the church to be the, 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 the platform, the setting from which the gospel would be clearly revealed, not only in this world, but to the spirit realm as well. When the church preaches the gospel, when a church proclaims the gospel, get this, according to verse 10, we're not just making the gospel known to the world, we're making the gospel known beyond the world, beyond the physical realm, to the spirit realm as well. Can you believe that? It is the church's design and it is the church's mission that all who are going to hear the gospel will hear the gospel through Christ's church. All who come to understand the gospel are going to come to understand it through Christ's church. So the mission of the gospel then is this, that through the church, all the way to the ends, the boundaries of the physical realm, everyone hears the gospel. And then beyond the physical realm, into the spirit realm, everyone hears the gospel. So then the mission of the gospel absolutely includes and means that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth, is supposed to receive the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. The mission of the gospel is that the gospel get to every single people group on planet earth. It's not just that the gospel has a message it's not just that the gospel has a medium, the local church. It's not just that the gospel has a method, Ridgecrest Baptist Church proclaiming the gospel where it hasn't been proclaimed until the church is birthed and strengthened. The gospel has a mission that it get to every people group on the earth. And until the gospel gets to every people group on the earth, the mission is incomplete. The mission of the gospel is incomplete. Here's a little status update. There are around 15,000 people groups on the face of the earth. 15,000. Here's where we stand on completing the mission of the gospel that every people group hear the gospel. 6,000 of them, 6,000 of them still have never heard the gospel in their language and in their culture such that it can be clearly understood. 6,000 people groups. 
Now that's kind of this nebulous number, so let me try to help you get your mind around that. Do you know how many members of humanity are in these 6,000 people groups that have yet to hear the gospel in their language and culture? One half of planet Earth. Half of humanity lives in the 9,000 people groups that have received the gospel. Half of planet Earth lives in the 6,000 people groups that have never heard the gospel in their language and in their culture such that it can be clearly understood. So if 6,000 people groups, half of planet Earth, have yet to receive a mature witness of the gospel then the mission of the gospel is only half complete, isn't it? Now listen, listen to me carefully. If, as I said, it is true that Jesus Christ is the rightful reigning king because he's the creator of all things, if he's the ultimate king and his agenda His mission, the agenda of the gospel, the mission of the gospel is that every people group here, if he's the ultimate king, then his agenda is the ultimate agenda. And if his agenda is that every people group here and only half of planet earth so far has heard, then we can rightly conclude that the great crisis of planet earth today is not Ebola. And it's not the AIDS epidemic of sub-Saharan Africa. And it's not human trafficking and it's not the drug trade. It's not the plight of orphans. It's not the Islamic State and radical Islamists. All of those things I just mentioned are important. All of those things I just mentioned are crises. All of them need to be dealt with. But what I'm saying is this. If Jesus is the ultimate king, and the ultimate mission of the king is that every people group get the gospel, and only half of the planet has received the gospel, then the great crisis of all crises on planet Earth today is the lack of gospel access. The lack of gospel access. We have a gospel access crisis. We have a message, we have a medium, we have a method. But after 2,000 years, the mission is only half complete. We have a crisis of all crises. In fact, let me say it like this, and this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. Listen carefully. The great crisis of our planet today is not even lostness. The great crisis of our day today is not even that billions of people are lost. It's worse than that. The great crisis of our day is that people are lost and have no access to the gospel. Listen, I have people tell me all the time, Hey, Nathan, we have no business going overseas to unreached people groups with the gospel. We've got plenty of lost people to, meet, to, to reach in our town. 
Hey, Nathan, we got, we, we got no business going overseas with the gospel. There's lots of lost people left in America. We should reach them first. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It is a terrible, terrible situation to be a lost person living in Greenville, Texas. Absolutely. If you are a lost person living in Greenville, Texas, you are in dire straits. You need to be reconciled to the living God. But here's the thing. If you're an unbeliever in Greenville, Texas, Ridgecrest Baptist Church is right here. A medium of gospel proclamation is right here. And there are the members of Ridgecrest handing out tracts and knocking on doors and witnessing uh, as the Holy Spirit leads you throughout the week as you live on mission and crosses your paths with unbelievers and gives you divine appointments. Listen, people who are not believers in Greenville are lost but there are rescue people looking for them. That's a whole lot different than being lost in Bangladesh. That is a whole lot different than being lost in China or Egypt. Because when you're lost in an unreached people group, you are lost and nobody's coming. Nobody's looking for you. There is no medium for gospel access. Even if you want it, you can't find it. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost and nobody's looking for you. The great crisis of our day is not lostness. It's worse than that. The great crisis of our day is lack of gospel access. You know, one day... Lord willing, by the grace of God, there will be healthy local churches in every people group on planet earth proclaiming the gospel. There will be healthy local churches in Bangladesh and in Egypt and in China, enough of them to reach the people of those people groups. And you know, when that day comes, when the day comes, there's healthy local churches in every people group, Christians in America can afford to have the conversations like, we don't need to go to China, there's lost people here. You know, when that day comes, I understand that conversation because we can say, well, the Chinese Christian churches can reach the Chinese, the American Christian churches can reach the Americans, and the Egyptian Christian churches can reach the Egyptians. But we're not there. That day is not here. We are living in a day where the gospel mission is, 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 is far from complete. And the amazing thing is that by God's design, the plan for the gospel to get to China, to get to Egypt, to get to Bangladesh... are pockets of local believers covenanted together as a local church in places like Greenville, Texas. That's what it says in Ephesians 3. He has given you the gospel's message. And you by design are the gospel's medium. And he has taught you the gospel's method. And he has assigned you the gospel's mission.
The same is true of my church. The same is true of every local church on planet earth that preaches the true gospel. And so ladies and gentlemen, I just stopped by today to tell you this. The ultimate king has an ultimate agenda. That every people group here. And the mission is only half complete. We cannot put it on coast. We cannot put it on cruise control. We can't even see the finish line from here. And if Jesus Christ is the ultimate king, and the mission of the gospel is that every people group here, then you as a local body have a God-given mission, a God-given responsibility of carrying your share of the burden of the universal church expressed in local churches to get the gospel to every people group before it's too late. You can sit here today and say, how in the world can a local church in in Greenville, Texas carry our share of the mission of the church? I want you to know something. The Bible lays out this infrastructure. Your pastor leads you through it all the time, whether he's explained it to you this way or not. The Bible calls every church to be on mission in this fashion. Pray, give, and go. Praying, giving, and going. If you sit here today and you say, Nathan, my heart's not burdened for the nations. I've lost sight of the mission. In fact, I've totally forgotten about the mission. I want you to know something. If you confess that to God, and if you'll just begin intentionally praying for the nations, God will burden your heart for the mission of the gospel to get to every people group. If you pray as a church for the nations, God will burden your collective heart to reach the nation. And I want you to know something. If you'll just start giving money to the enterprise of the nations getting the gospel, I want you to know something. That too will burden your heart for the nations and the mission of the gospel. You know, Jesus taught us that money trains the heart. Money trains the heart. Wherever you spend your money, you're training your heart to love that thing. So here's the thing, if you even just start small and just start giving to global mission, you are training your heart to become burdened for the nations. And as you pray and as you give, watch over time as the Lord of the harvest burdens your heart for the global mission. And then there's going. At some point, every local church has to gear up and strap on their boots and go. If the local church is the medium for global mission, at some point you've got to stop thinking that we can outsource this. At some point we've got to realize we are the medium. We're the ones called by Christ to go. I want to, I want to exhort you this morning. As the Holy Spirit of God burdens your pastor for this church to go to an unreached people group, 
short-term mission trip opportunities will arise, you should go. It's the mission of the church. You might be sitting in this place in Greenville, Texas, saying, what could God do with me around the world? I want you to know something. I was on the board of directors for the IMB, the International Mission Board, for eight years. Over those eight years, I read hundreds of resumes of missionary candidates. I conducted hundreds of interviews of missionary candidates, and here's what I learned. The vast majority of the people God calls to be missionaries come from places like Greenville, Texas. He calls people just like you. It's not out out of the realm of possibility that when the Holy Spirit blows upon this church, because he wants to carry a seed of the gospel to Bangladesh. It's not out of the realm of possibility that you're the seed that he will blow upon and carry. That there might be a mature gospel witness in an unreached people group that can one day become a church that shares the gospel to a people who have never heard. Praying, giving, going. We have a mission. Let's embrace the mission until Jesus Christ comes again. Let me pray with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and nobody looking around.